first book of Corinthians, chapter 14, which can be found on page 1154 of the Blue Church Bibles. It's 1 Corinthians, chapter 14, reading from verse 1 to verse 25. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you, unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes. Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say, Amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying and they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, 
God is really among you. Thanks very much for reading, Andrew. Um, and uh, it's a shame that Dan Gomez isn't here tonight. He's finally get a chance to see someone else have a tricky one in 1 Corinthians. Shamla, thank you for your prayers, but I think I should ask the Lord for his help again. Father, we thank you that we can gather as your church this evening. Lord, I thank you for the grace that you've shown to me through this passage. You've opened my heart and mind by your spirit to try and understand it. And Lord, we do ask that as we come to this tricky passage that you would help us to not let our experience get in the way of what your word is teaching us. Be with us, we pray, for the next 25 minutes and longer. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're asked the question tomorrow by your friend, why do you go to church? Although we might get nervous and stumble on our words a little bit, I imagine that we would be able to answer that question well and faithfully. But the question that the Apostle Paul has been addressing with the Corinthian church is, who do I come to church for? So let's ask ourselves that question. Who do you come to church for? Who are you here for this evening? It's bank holiday weekend. We've all got a day off tomorrow, well, most of us. The weather's lovely. There are plenty of things that we could be doing. And when that temptation to not go to church comes which some of us may even had an hour or so ago, what made you come? If you're a visitor or a guest, perhaps you were dragged along tonight. Well, a warm welcome to you. And I do hope that today is helpful and interesting for you. But for us Christians, I think if we're honest, we do come to church for ourselves. And that's not a bad thing. We come to be encouraged, to be refreshed and to be fed. And that is clearly a good thing. God has designed his church for our good. It's healthy. But the danger can be that we come only for ourselves and we become consumers. And we want church to be what we want it to be. So the type of worship style that I like, singing songs that I like, just coming to listen to a particular sermon series because it's really hitting where I'm at at the moment. And maybe even coming to hear the preacher that I like. And if these things aren't on the agenda for this week, maybe I'll just catch up during the week on the internet. Or maybe another answer to who do you come to church for is God. I come to church for God. Isn't the point of gathering to worship him, sing to him, learn more about him, praise him, and perhaps even to meet alone with him? to get lost in worship, to forget all those around me and have a meeting with God and God alone. Now, of course, there is some good in that too. Yes, we do gather to worship God and to respond to him and to praise him. But in these chapters in, um, the, in Corinthians 11 through to 14 that are all about what we are to do as we meet together as church, Paul says you can't be worshipping God rightly if you're not thinking about the people around you. Love of God and love of others isn't optional 
you don't pick one of the two, they go together. And especially as we gather in church. The idea of turning up just for ourselves isn't how Paul and certainly isn't how Jesus sees his church. And we will see this as now as Paul turns specifically to the use of particular spiritual gifts. We will see that the good of others is central to what is going on as we meet together for church. Now, there are three repeated words in the passage tonight which we will need to look at together and understand their meaning. Because if we don't, we'll probably lose what the, the thrust of what the passage is teaching us and what Paul is instructing the Corinthians. So we're going to start with the easiest, edify. Now, some of you may have brought your own Bibles and have a different translation, and the word edify may be replaced with the phrase built up, and that is its simplest meaning. And Paul uses this term a lot in his letters when he talks to the church as a whole, and he is encouraging Christians to help one another along the road to Christ-likeness. And that includes all members of the church, or body, as we saw a couple of weeks ago. And that can be teaching or preaching to improve our understanding of God. It can be as uh, encouragement that develops Christ-like character. It can be being accountable to each other and having fellowship with each other. In summary, it is doing things together for the mutual benefit of one another. And it seems the Corinthians' thinking is muddled on this, and in particular how they use their spiritual gifts in this area of edification. And it's the reason why Paul spends three chapters on the subjects of gifts. He started back in chapter 12 by reminding the Corinthians that the Spirit distributes gifts for the common good. So my gifts are for you, Your gifts are for me and for us. And there is no spiritual hierarchy of gifts. All are good, and they all come from the same spirit. But it seems that isn't what the Corinthians seem to believe. Instead, their understanding is that the more gifted you are, and it seems in particular, the more dramatic the gift, well, then the more spiritual and the more mature you are. It seems they've got a bit of spiritual pride. And it's not the first time we've seen this in the letter, as Paul addressed their wrong thinking on their favourites and better teachers in the opening chapters. And sandwiched between the two chapters on spiritual gifts, Paul reminds us that love is the foundation of what he is teaching on the use of gifts. As it is love, that should be the driving force as we meet as church and use the gifts that that the Spirit has given to us. And it seems this is the main corrective that the Corinthians needed. As without love, it doesn't matter how gifted you are. And Paul starts this section at the beginning of the chapter with the command to pursue or follow the way of love in verse 1. And if we love, we should eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy which would have surprised the Corinthians, I think, as what they might have taken from from chapter 13 is just carry on using your gifts as they are, but just add a huge dollop of love. But Paul says something a bit stronger here, and he explains that prophecy and gifts like it are the most loving gifts 
not the most important gifts, as they're all the same, but the ones that someone who loves would most want so they can most use them in church together to build one another. So love plus gifts equals especially prophecy. And this is where we hit the tricky part. Prophecy versus tongues. Now, I must be honest, a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't quite sure what to, what to do here with this chapter. Um, I had a basic understanding of each gift, but also recognise uh, that there are differing opinions on both these subjects between good, Bible-believing Christians and faithful churches. And that may be true of us tonight. We, there might be some of us that disagree on what these gifts look like and what they are. But in God's kindness, after studying the different views on each gift and what I think they are, I've come to the conclusion that after summarising the views, when you look at the broad picture of what both prophecy and tongues are, when you push it through this chapter, and what you, we will see what Paul is teaching quite clearly, I think. So we will start with a summary of each gift, and uh, we're going to start with tongues. So, Acts 2 is the first experience of the gifts of tongues, and it is clear that tongues is the enabling by the Spirit to allow the disciples or the apostles to speak in different languages. So there is a huge crowd that has Arabs, Egyptians, Libyans, Romans... And all are able to hear the apostles in their own language. So the words come out in Egyptian, even though the apostles that morning couldn't speak Egyptian. And maybe that's a gift that you've come across. It would be a great gift for missionaries, wouldn't it? To be able to speak a foreign language very quickly. But is what happened in Acts what we see in Corinth? Well, it's easy to conclude that because Acts 2 is the first time that the Holy Spirit comes to the church, the assumption can be that the gift of tongues would always be the same. After all, the word tongue does translate to language, so that fits. And the, fit, and the fact that they can be interpreted leads us to summarise that they are coming out of a language. But I think the verses themselves convince us that t- the tongues in Corinth aren't the tongues that we read of in Acts. So we're going to jump around a little bit. Um, Verse 2, you are not speaking to men, but you are speaking to God. Verse 14 and 15, it doesn't involve your mind, whereas in Acts 2, I think the assumption is they do know what they're saying. But I think the biggest differences we see are in verse 9, it is unintelligible. Verse 2, no one understands them. They utter mysteries. Uh, I don't think Paul means that there is no one around to understand the language. So the Egyptian didn't come to church that day, so there's no one there to understand the Egyptian language, for example. I think it seems more natural to read these verses that this language isn't human. It's a heavenly language given by God and used to speak to God And only God can give another miracle, the miracle of interpretation. So that's tongues. What about prophecy? We're going to spend a little bit more time on that. New Testament prophecy is different to Old Testament prophecy. 
So in the Old Testament, if a prophet spoke, God spoke. And if you disagreed with a prophet, you're in big trouble. And it was the same for the prophet. So if he spoke something that turned out to be false, he would be stoned to death as a false prophet. So prophets have to be right all the time, and you have to do as they say. But in the New Testament, when a prophet speaks, you weigh and test what they say. So for those taking notes, Paul confirms this later in this chapter. um, So chapter 14, verse 29, and he says it again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 to 20. So New Testament prophecy doesn't hold the same authority as Old Testament prophecy. And that isn't disrespectful or unfaithful, although it would have been in the Old Testament. Stay with me. So in the New Testament, a prophet would stand up and deliver a message, and you discuss and test it. Pick out what is good and discard the things that aren't, and you thank the prophet. And there will be Christians that may disagree with that view on New Testament prophecy and how that affects the church today. And for the sake of time, we're not going to explore that, those different views today. And next week, Paul does speak into how we weigh and test a prophet. But for the purpose of this evening, it is, good, it is a good thing to know that we can and we should weigh and test prophecy in this way. And we do see an example of that in Acts uh, chapter 21. A prophet named Agabus told Paul not to go to Jerusalem as he will be arrested. Everyone believes him, and Agabus is right. But Paul goes anyway, because that's what God wanted him to do. So Agabus was a New Testament prophet, but different from the Old Testament. It's the apostles who are the equivalent to the Old Testament prophets in the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, if a prophet wrote a book, you put it in the Bible. And in the New Testament, if an apostle wrote a book or a letter, you put it in the Bible. The Bible is God's word, and it is complete. Scripture will not be rewritten, and it has everything that we need as Christians. So, how does prophecy work today? Well, I, I read a helpful summary, and it said this. Prophecy is a powerful, specific application of what God has already said for today. So how we apply scripture to our lives. What does that look like? Well, firstly, it isn't preaching and doesn't carry the same authority. Now, we know this. As Paul's desire in these verses is that everyone prophesy. And we know that not everyone is given the spiritual privilege or authority to preach. And again, just to try and summarize that. So the difference between teaching and prophecy is, sorry, the difference is that preaching and teaching is the clear stuff. And prophecy is the stuff that you test and weigh and how it applies. So clearly at times in a sermon, there will be prophecy involved as every preacher will try to apply what he's been teaching from God's word. But on the whole, prophesying will normally happen in smaller settings 
small groups where people can have the time to think and weigh. So some examples for us might be as, we, as a church, so we meet in small groups, so a one-to-one, oversight team meeting, I think, or in particular, our, our small and local groups, connect, refresh. These are groups where Christians are meeting together and weighing each other's words. So we are looking at God's word and we're speaking to one another. But it's not just saying verse 10 means. It's more than that. It's when we start applying God's word to each other and saying, actually, we've looked at some principles, but I think God is saying this to you. Or this is what I think you need to do with your relationship or your future or your job. And then we begin to weigh and test that and think either, yes, it's right, it's right or it's not. Or, yeah, do you know what? I think God is saying that. I think that is where we see prophecy happening in the life of the church today. And of course, that will always happen after our church meetings in the time of fellowship. We're, all, we're always encouraged every week to do more than just have coffee and chat about the weather. No, we, we are encouraged to discuss what we've heard and share with each other what it means for me. But perhaps what it meant for the person I sat next to, who before the service had shared a specific part of their life with you, and you feel God is really speaking into that through the application of the sermon. Now, it may not always be spontaneous, as someone who is prophesying, prophesying may have the revelation and then prepare how they say it. But it is a revelation, as verse 29 says. So, to sum that up, the purpose of prophecy is how God takes Bible truths that are for all time and for everybody and helps each of us in our own separate situations to be built up and encouraged, convicted, consoled and instructed. And in both those examples, I'm very happy to openly share I've been the beneficiary on many occasions where many of you have applied what we have heard that day in the pulpit or in a small group together something to my life and it has been a real blessing to me again I'm happy to share some examples of that uh, parental struggles perhaps and particularly how to live as a Christian in the workplace and uh, having heard some practical wisdom but more importantly being pointed to God's word and told, this is what I need, I've got away and I've weighed it, I've tested it, I've prayed, maybe even spoken to a couple of others. And I really thank God for the gift of prophecy that he's given to you for my good. Now, as we've gone through what those two gifts are, you may not totally agree with me. But for the second part of the sermon, I'm hoping that won't matter too much. As I said earlier, we can take our views on the gifts and push it through these verses, and I think we will reach the same conclusion. So back to where we started. If we love, we should eagerly desire gifts of the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And in particular, the contrast is with tongues. And Paul says in church we should choose to prophesy rather than speak in tongues. And he gives three reasons why someone who loves others and loves the gifts will want to prophesy over speaking in tongues. And firstly, it's because building others comes first. These points are much shorter. 
Don't worry. Now, let's be clear first. Paul is not against tongues. That clearly comes through these verses because he says lots of good things about tongues. So again, let's quickly just have a look. Verse 5, I would like you all to speak in tongues. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues. Back in chapter 12, he confirms that tongues is a spiritual gift. Verse 2, you speak to God when you do it. Verse 4, it is good for you and you build yourself up. But despite that, Paul says, in church, I would rather you didn't speak in tongues at all. And he emphasizes the point in verse 19. In church, he says, he would rather speak five words of instruction rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, that's quite a ratio. Now, it would probably take me about an hour and a half, I reckon, to say 10,000 words to you. And don't worry, I'm not going to. But Paul would rather just say five simple words that we can understand and go home. So maybe, Jesus is Lord and King. Or, Jesus died for our sins. That is better for all as we build each other rather than speak for two hours with words we don't understand. And we should save that for when we are at home and when we're in private. It is good speaking in tongues. You speak to God and you build yourself up. But that is a problem in church. Verse 3, prophecy speaks to people for their upbuilding, so to strengthen, to encourage, and to comfort. But verse 4, tongues only build the individual. You see, if the gifts are all about love... And for the good of others, the ones we should use in church are the ones that would do good to others. And the church in Corinth would probably struggle to hear this from Paul. Because they think their worship services are amazing because they're speaking in tongues. It is super spiritual and dramatic. Paul says no. This doesn't build others. And he explains why. So point two. Speak intelligible words. Now remember, when we define tongues, no one understands them, not even the person speaking. And Paul says the only way to do good and build anyone in church is if they understand you. And he gives three illustrations in verses 7 through to 11. And all say, if you cannot understand something, it's of no use. So if music isn't distinct you wouldn't know what the tune was. The trumpet that sounds the alarm in battle, if it can't be understood, the enemy will storm the camp whilst the troops are still sleeping. And the last illustration, we would have all had an experience of. So when I was younger, uh, we spent a lot of time um, in Walthamstow in North London with my Mauritian family. Lots of fun, all my cousins were there, it was brilliant. And that my auntie Nellie, she was a wonderful lady, and she seemed to have about a thousand friends, and all from differing backgrounds, speaking lots of different languages, and she spoke a lot of languages herself. And her house was like a real open house. And every time we visited, so we would go, myself, my brother, and my mum, the kids would go off and play with the cousins and have a great time, but my mum was left with the adults. But all of their conversations 
were always either in Creole or Urdu. Even though my auntie and all of her guests all spoke English, and they knew my mum only spoke English. And I always thought, and I did ask her once, that must be really hard for you. But she never complained. But I always wondered how she really felt. So, you see, if I don't understand you, and you don't understand me, well, we're not communicating. We're, we're foreigners to each other, as verse 10 says. Because speech is powerful. And we all know that, don't we, from positive and negative examples in our lives, I'm sure. And Paul, again, is correcting the Corinthians' wrong thinking here. Unintelligible tongues aren't powerful, but meaningful words are. So, if you are keen on the gifts of the Spirit, be keen on what the Spirit is keen on. Verse 12. The Spirit wants to highlight and shine a light on Jesus to all of us so we can build each other as we build his church. Which means the tongue speaker in Corinth is not as high up the spiritual hierarchy as they thought they might be. And they should be praying for another gift and the power to interpret, as that is the only way that Paul will allow tongues in church. But again, Paul is not forbidding tongues. And perhaps you've never experienced the gift. How would you feel if you were given that gift? Would you embrace it or would you flee? Or if you have a friend who has the gift, would you encourage them to use it and pray at home themselves and expect it to do them good? Well, I think Paul has made the answer a clear yes, but just not in church or in public. So in verses 14 through 16, we shouldn't pray publicly in tongues. We shouldn't sing in tongues. We shouldn't give thanks in tongues. He even means in a small group praying because there is no way that we can all say amen if we don't know what you're saying. So building up comes first, which means intelligible words come first. And that applies to all of the intelligible gifts as Paul lists in verse 6. So revelation, knowledge, prophecy or instruction. As that is how we do good to each other in church. And that is why when we meet together as church each week, our, our services, just like tonight, they all run in a certain way. So we do give a large chunk of time to teaching. And one of the preacher's job, my job, hopefully tonight, is to explain God's word clearly. It's why we sing words we know and understand so we can encourage each other as we sing to each other and to God. We have prayers that are prepared, like they were this evening by Shamla, and they've been prepared thoughtfully. And there are prayers that we can all say amen to. And we do give a lot of time at the end of the service for fellowship so we can speak the truth in love and prophesy to each other, as we spoke about earlier. So that is what is good for the church. But final point, it is also good for visitors and unbelievers. Let me read verses 22 to 24. <clears throat> Tongues, then, are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquirers or unbelievers come in, 
Will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now, verse 22 is a well-known tricky verse, as it sounds like we are talking, (coughs) excuse me, it sounds like we are talking about tongues for unbelievers and prophecy for believers. But Paul has already spoken about prophecy for believers in the first 19 verses. And it seems this last section is really all about unbelievers and visitors and how tongues and prophecy work for them. So, verse 23, if everyone is speaking in tongues when a visitor comes in, will they not say that everyone is out of their mind? Compared to verse 24, if everyone is prophesying when they come in, you get conviction of sin, hearts changed, and wonderfully, the visitor becomes a Christian, and verse 25, worships God and declares God is among you. So it seems clear, Paul is saying the church should not only care about our regular congregation and the Christians amongst us and building each other up, but we should care for the visitors, the visitors too when we meet. I was thinking of an example of this. And, you know, the first time I came to Christchurch, this church, um, I think it was about 15 years ago, and I came as a non-believer and a strong non-believer at that. I wanted nothing to do with church or God. But my wife, Lorraine, was being baptised and she really wanted me to come. How did I find the experience? Well, I was out of my comfort zone and I certainly felt, I did feel a little bit out of place. I didn't agree, or I didn't think I agreed, or understand what was being said from the front. But I think the truth is I more than likely zoned out and didn't listen because my heart was hard. But everyone was friendly. But in my own position and stage of life, it wasn't really what I really needed. I remember when I got home, I said to Lorraine, gosh, your church is very happy clappy. But at no stage did I not feel welcomed. I felt very welcomed. And as much as I didn't quite understand things, that was not because of what was being said, and it wasn't because it wasn't being communicated properly, or that the structure of the service wasn't right. No, the problem was me. Because my heart, because my heart wasn't yet prepared or ready to listen to the gospel and about my own sin. Now, if everyone had been talking in tongues around me, I think I probably would have run out and probably said to Lorraine, you can't go back, those people are crazy. And that is Paul's point here when he says sign in verse 22 as tongues are not a sign to change the unbeliever's mind but it's actually to confirm them in their unbelief and as they walk into church they say this is not for me and i do hope if you're a visitor with us today that you can tell that we are a gathering of people in our right minds and although the ideas from the bible might be new to you i do hope you can see that i and we are trying to speak clearly so people can engage their minds and think about what the Bible is teaching. And that's why we're always happy to take questions after the meeting. And if a visitor wants to give us feedback, we we do welcome that. 
Because the most important thing is we do trust that as the gospel is preached and Jesus is proclaimed, our experience here is that people are convicted and do become Christians. That is Paul's view of tongues for unbelievers. And he backs that up with a quote in verse 21. Let me just read that. In the law it's written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. It's quite a quote to give to a church that's keen on tongues and thinks that speaking a language that no one understands is a good thing and carries favour with God. Now this quote is from Isaiah chapter 28. And God said to his people, I will send you people who speak in strange tongues. So straight away, the Corinthians are thinking, great. But in Isaiah, that is not a good thing because the strange tongue you will hear is Assyrian. And you will be surrounded by Assyrian people speaking a foreign tongue and they will come with their army and they will conquer you and they will enslave you and you will spend ages listening to a tongue that you don't understand. Tongues was a sign of God's judgment in Isaiah's day. And it was a suitable judgment for them as they had refused to listen to to Isaiah's simple, clear and intelligible words from God. So again, Paul is making his point clear. So as we finish and sum up, Gifts and love is what is important as we gather as church. And we need both. And the way to have both is to aim as church to do the things that the Spirit wants us to do. The things that help his big building project of Christ's church as he shines the truth of the gospel into those who come into church and become Christians, but also growing and strengthening those already in the church. That is what the Holy Spirit wants until our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, returns. So for us, let's pray we get the balance of how we use the gifts that he has given to us right. And use them for the good of us all as we make building others our first priority. And that we would speak clear words to each other and to our non-believing visitors. And in terms of prophecy, I wonder what that might look for you personally as you go into the week and into you know, the, the next part of your discipleship with Jesus. Maybe you're convicted of the importance of prophecy and speaking up. Perhaps in the past you have shied away from applying something to a Christian friend as you've been unsure, even when you were pretty sure that that was what God wanted you to do. Or maybe you are convicted of just how important our small and local groups are. And if you're not part of a small and local group, do come speak to Andrew Evans, who's not here this evening. Come speak to me or Andrew McKenna. Small and local groups, they are so important. And they aren't just times where we speak theological truths to each other. but We prophesy to each other. And as I, as you attend, God might reveal something to me that I need to hear he may use me to do the opposite and tell someone else. Love plus gifts equals prophecy, which builds the church. Churches don't grow without the gifts of the Spirit, so let's use them. But along with all churches, 
Let us be prayerful, careful, and wise as to how we use our gifts as we seek to proclaim our Saviour to all and to continue to build his church before he returns in glory. Let's have a moment of quiet, and then Ed will come and introduce our final song. Thank you so much, Shaq, for your preparation.